And I've realized that you're not going to feel happy or satisfied based on the goals you accomplish. You have to foster happiness and gratitude along the way. I know it's cliche, like enjoy the journey, right? I know it's cliche, but it's so true. So what I'm trying to do now that I'm retired is to really slow down, enjoy life, use this time to relax and reset and recharge and be okay with the fact that I don't always have to be trying to achieve something. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Rachel Richards with me today. Rachel, how are you? Hey, Jerome, I'm really good. How are you? Amazing. I appreciate you asking. Where are you? Uh, so my husband and I just moved a couple months ago from Kentucky to Colorado. Oh, you're fancy now. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. Denver or which city? Oh, Colorado Springs. So we're about an hour south. Yeah, that place is pretty. I drove through there. I used to spend some time in Denver. So before we get too deep into the interview, if the listeners want to catch up with you, what's the best way to do that? My website is moneyhoneyrachel.com and both of my books are on Amazon. So either way. The Money Honey. So how does one get the name The Money Honey? <laughs> so it, it really started with my first book because my first book is called Money Honey. I wanted something catchy and fun. And then everyone has associated me with that. So now I'm just Money Honey Rachel, which I love. <laughs> well, so why leave Kentucky for Colorado? We always wanted to move out west because we love the mountains and we're avid hikers. And so finally, when I was able to quit my job last year and my husband has full like work remote capability now, we finally decided to make it happen. Gotta live out the dreams. Location freedom is one of the best freedoms, right? Yes, because it's not just about the time, but yeah, it's about location. I didn't want to be contained to Louisville, Kentucky the rest of my life. I mean, I love it there, but I also like to travel and explore. Wow. Okay. So like your book's kind of a big deal. So how does one write this book? Bring it to me, bring me full circle. Cause I feel like I'm leaving the listeners out on a well-kept secret. Okay. So my first job out of college, I was a financial advisor and my passion has always been helping people with finance. So at some point after that job, you know, all my family and friends were still coming to me for financial advice, which I loved. And at the same time, I wondered, well, why aren't they reading books on their own or learning on their own? And then I realized, oh yeah, that's because personal finance is boring. <laughs> it's, it's overwhelming. It's complicated. No wonder people don't like to learn about it. So then I thought, well, how can I take this topic and make it sassy and fun and simple. And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So I immediately sat down, started to write. This was around my full-time job. I built all of my passive income while I was still working full-time. So I was writing in the evenings. And then nine months later, I launched the book. 
Whoa. How long did it take? You said nine months. Is that all? Nine months. Yes. Around my full-time job. Wow. Okay. So I know you said it's like overwhelming and boring. So tell me about the sauce. Like what'd you sprinkle on this thing to make it interesting? (laughs) Well, you know, there's a lot of like slang and acronyms that young people use, millennials, Gen Z and everything. So I, I sprinkle the language throughout. I tell a lot of funny stories and make a lot of jokes and I have a ton of reviews on Amazon now, but the most common thing that people say is it feels like I'm sitting down and having coffee with a friend. So something about it has worked. I'm glad it did. It's definitely been more successful than I ever would have imagined. Yeah. I remember when my book came out, I was like, I'm just going to sell this out my trunk and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) So, but wait, like you got out of your job. Let's talk about that. Cause that is like really exciting. So like, tell me about working at your job and then doing stuff at night and weekends. And then like you got permission to leave. Yeah. So it definitely happened a lot sooner. I never thought I would be retired or fully financially independent at age 27. I thought it was going to take 10 or 15 years. But basically, I started to work on creating passive income streams so that I could live off of that income for the rest of my life without having to put in a lot of work. So in 2017, at the beginning of the year, we had $0 in passive income. My husband and I were working full time. And I've never made six figures in my life, okay? I'm not a trust fund baby or anything. So my first job out of college, I was only making something like $32,000. And I still found a way to save 50% of my income. I was living very frugally. So I at least had that going for me in terms of having some financial awareness and saving some money. In 2017, my husband and I bought our first duplex. So we started real estate investing. And then later that year is when I launched Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, the rental income and the royalty income. And we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next few years. So fast forward basically to last year's when I quit my job. And by that time, we now have almost 40 rental units, almost 40 doors. And I now have two best-selling books. So we surpassed the $10,000 a month mark in passive income last year. And that's when I quit my job. Wow. So how'd you learn how to buy like property? Because that's not in the financial planning workbook. No, it's not. (laughs) So I've always been an avid reader. I'm obsessed with reading even when I was a little kid. And I started reading more nonfiction, literally starting in middle school, high school and college. So I read a bunch of books about real estate investing. But also after I was a financial advisor, I had a couple small stints working in the real estate industry, one where I was working with an investor flipping houses, and then another where I was working for an agent learning about the closing process. So I thought at the time that that was like a waste of my time or I was overqualified. And I remember just having like a poor attitude about it. But in hindsight, It's a really good thing that I had those two jobs because those gave me the skills and knowledge and confidence it took to start investing in real estate. It's funny how the dots connect in hindsight sometimes. Wow. Connecting the dots is everything. And I think the people who can connect the dots are the ones who actually have the biggest impact in the world for themselves and then those around them. And so were there people who showed up along the way that helped you on the journey or did you just kind of connect the dots on your own through self-education? 
I for sure had help. So my business partner in all this has been my husband, Andrew. And with the real estate investing in particular, I think it made it easier to start investing knowing I was taking this risk with another person. Something about that helps me get over that initial hesitancy. And in terms of writing the book, it's really interesting because I read somewhere recently that something like 82 or 84% of Americans want to write a book. It's this dream that a lot of us have. And I'd always wanted to do it, but I just never knew what to write about. I never knew how. So I read this book by Chandler Bolt called Published. And once I read the book, it's just this concrete guide of, okay, here's how you come up with an idea. Here's how you outline, write, market, and publish the book. And I was like, oh, okay, I got it. So I started putting pen to paper and I followed exactly his strategies. So I, I truly have to credit Chandler Bolt, the author of that book, for helping me write my first book. And did you ever talk to Chandler or this is all just like by book or virtual mentorship? I didn't initially, but last year I actually went to a conference and he was there and I got to have dinner with him and talk to him and take a picture and I got to thank him and it was really fun. Wow. But you'd already published a book and made money from the book prior. Yeah. So it's really cool when people say, well, I don't have access to anybody or I don't know anybody who's doing it, but you can pick up a book, you can watch videos. Like there's so many things you can do to get access to mentors and mentorship. And there's so much free information, but no matter what you're doing, there is somebody out there that's done it already. So it's just a matter of finding them. And so was there another book after Money? Yes. So last year I published my second book called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. And it's about kind of my journey, how I quit my job. Cause a lot of people were interested in what is passive income? How does it work? Like, how are you doing what you're doing and quitting your job? So I wrote about that. And then the main portion of the book is all about different passive income streams. So I outlined 28 different passive income models. So trust me when I say there is something out there for everyone. Whoa. And so as you're going through this stuff, I mean, did everything just click and it worked exactly how you expected it to work? No, not at all. That would have been amazing. <laughs> so what made you like keep going? Like when did you realize that, hey, this is what I'm doing. I've got to do it. Like I call this a red pill moment. Here's what happened writing Money, Honey is about four or five months in, I quit writing the book. And I, I fully quit. I had no intention of picking it back up. Here's the thing I was telling myself by that point. I was telling myself, your writing is crap. And who are you, Rachel, to write this book on finance? And if you go through with this, it'll be an embarrassment. So it was such severe self-doubt that I quit writing the book. Now, luckily, I had a good friend encourage me to pick it back up. And she's like, you have to finish what you started out to do. And so I did. I picked it back up. Really, in the end, the only reason I went through with publishing the book is because I told myself, if I can just help one person, that's all I want to do. That's truly all I wanted to do. So I really lowered the expectations to overcome that. There wasn't a phrase for it at the time, but now you know people call it the imposter syndrome, when you feel like a fraud or who am I to do this? And that's what I was struggling with. But So I was able to push through and sort of ignore it, but I didn't really overcome it until about six months after launch. Because, you know, when I first launched the book, I'm getting all this great feedback from my family and friends. And that was good validation. But also, 
you take that with a grain of salt because they're your family and friends and they're going to support you no matter what. So it wasn't until later when I started getting emails from random readers that read my book. And I started getting a lot of them like in my inbox every single week. And so about six months in, I finally realized you know, I think I've actually done something that's helping people here. I think I can give myself their permission to be proud and to fully stand behind my book because I've written a really great book. So that, that was how I overcame eventually the imposter syndrome. That is beautiful. So for me, it wasn't my negative self-talk. It was people who I let read what I was writing, telling me the same things that you said to yourself and uh, quit for longer than a couple of months. I think it was like a year. And then I came back and they're asking the exact same questions. Who do you think you are? What qualifies you to do this or that? Mm. I kind of did it. So. (laughs) Yeah. And that's so rough. Isn't it funny how we'll listen to the one negative feedback over the hundreds of other positive feedback we get? Without question. It's like, I read some research or watched a video. I don't remember. Maybe it was a podcast. You're like, you need 10 positives for every one negative to balance Mm. it out. And just like we're like hypersensitive to the things that aren't flattering. Yeah, for sure. So that's why I never look at my reviews because they're overwhelmingly positive. But, you know, once in a blue moon, I'll get a really crappy review. Then I question my entire existence. (laughs) So you won't this, but talking about reviews, I hadn't looked at reviews in like three years. And I looked at the beginning of COVID and it was the most scathing review that I've ever seen. And I mean, you could tell this person was like a true writer, right? Not the engineer who pretended to be a writer, but like somebody who maybe went to Harvard or something and got this literature degree and then the PhD and all the stuff. And I mean, it was so eloquent, but it was so mean. The worst. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. But anyway, so (laughs) (laughs) it just goes to show like everybody's not going to love what you do, but I don't think that matters. And as long as you can help one person, I think it is worth it. And if you help one person, including yourself, I think it'll help other people just because we're not that different from everybody else. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate you dropping that little tidbit there. And so were there any small challenges along the way that are worth talking about and how you overcame them? Oh, for sure. So since I'm a finance person, I'm very frugal and I can be frugal to the extreme. So one challenge I faced with writing Money Honey was how am I going to launch this without spending a lot of money? Because other authors will spend thousands of dollars on a book launch, five, 10, 20 grand, even more than that. And I was like, well, I don't know if this is going to even sell, right? I read another statistic somewhere that most self-published authors sell 250 to 300 copies of the book in its lifetime. So I tried to kind of do a break-even analysis, just assuming the worst, basically. And I ended up finding a way to launch Money Honey for less than $600. But it was definitely an obstacle I faced getting over those fears of spending the money when I didn't want to, investing in myself, investing in my business. You have to spend money to make money. And that was a little mental barrier for me. And then the real estate. So the real estate was hard first getting into that and managing the tenants because 
my husband and I are both really compassionate people and especially my husband, he is a big teddy bear. And so, you know, tenants would be late by weeks and months and we would buy into these stories and I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Do what you need to do. (laughs) And then in the end, of course, we'd get screwed and they would leave owing us thousands of dollars. So we really had to learn to separate business from charity. Because there's a place for both. We're charitable people, but you can't mix the two. You can't be charitable within your own business. That's something that David Osborne taught me, who's a real estate like mogul. You know, run the real estate like a business. There's really no room for feelings. It sounds harsh, but it's true. And that was a really hard lesson to learn. Yeah, that part. That's why I don't manage my own stuff. I'm, I'm too soft. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what we need to do. <laughs> well, you move through that stuff. And I mean, it all just feels so seamless. I'm a little jealous. You talked about the self-talk and somebody saying, hey, you're not qualified being an imposter. But was that your worst fear? Or did you have stuff that was deeper in the process that you had to overcome? I mean, I think that was part of it. I think really the stronger fear was just that everyone would hate my book. And I was putting myself out there for this public scrutiny and public judgment. And that's just such a scary thing. I mean, again, I didn't break through it until six months after. And then I had a ton of financial fears too, because there are certain areas where I take risks financially, but I'm also very conservative financially in ways and like resistant to spending money. So I think the ultimate fear that's always driven me is losing my money, not having enough money to take care of myself, not having enough money to take care of the people I love. And I think that was actually from my childhood where that fear developed because I grew up in this really wealthy county where people in my high school were getting brand new BMWs for their 16th birthday. (laughs) Okay. I was not. My family was like always on a budget. We weren't going on trips, let alone going out to eat at restaurants. We never did stuff like that. So I had this feeling that I didn't fit in at a young age. And that's not how you want to feel in middle school and high school. So I, I realized then that I didn't want to end up like everyone else struggling with money. I wanted to be different. I wanted to be able to take care of myself, to do the things that I wanted, and to be totally financially independent. So those fears are really the reason I've, I'm so ambitious and so goal-oriented. I think I've largely overcome them, but I'm sure they're still like ingrained in me in a subconscious level. I know another lady who has the same thing. It was just like, she got picked on for the home that she lived in. And she was like, I just hated that the school bus would pull up in front of my house and all the kids would pick on me about where I live. And we ride by and see their homes and it's so different. And that's my dream is to have a really nice home and she's done it. So but kudos for coming that. Cause I mean, I think that can be paralyzing, right? And it's easy to acquiesce into whatever was done in the generation before because that's what you're familiar with. And if you're not careful, that's what people expect you to do. Like they mm-hmm. will kind of ostracize you for trying to do more or have more. So Yeah, that's so true. So you're going to face obstacles along the way no matter what you do. <laughs> no matter what you do. So you might as well do it and enjoy the life of your dreams, right? That's right. Was there a point where you hit rock bottom or has it all been pretty comfortable? Oh gosh, definitely hit rock bottom. Maybe not many times, but a couple times at least. So financially, 
I don't think I've had a rock bottom financially. Mentally, absolutely. So I suffered as an entrepreneur. I really got burnt out at one point. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with the burnout. But it's funny, when I was about to quit my job last year, I had this another fear that I was going to not have anything to do all day. And I was just going to be lazy and sleep in and not do anything. And I guess I just didn't know myself that well because the opposite of that happened. And I went from working 40 hours full time to working 80 hours on my own. And the thing is, when you're working for a job, you have a start and end time, right? Typically, you're working eight to five. So you have those boundaries. When you're working as an entrepreneur or business owner or for yourself, you don't have those clear boundaries. And so it can become a lot more difficult to protect your personal time. Plus, the stuff I was doing, writing books and helping people with finance, I love to do that stuff. I'm passionate about it. So I could work a 12-hour day and be like, oh, man, that was a lot of fun. But in reality, you can't keep that up. That's not good for your mental health. So it did at one point in my journey, it did turn into pretty severe anxiety that then developed into depression. And when that happened, it was like at the end of 2018. But I like to bring it up because I think there's such a stigma around mental health. And I think that more people go through it than we realize and sometimes don't even know what they're going through. You know, the feeling of being depressed for me was I just don't feel like myself anymore, and I don't know if I'll ever feel like myself again. So it was very hopeless. That taught me to really put boundaries into place and to protect my time viciously and to not let other people kind of rule my life and rule my calendar. So I learned to feel more in control of my time and my schedule, but that was probably my rock bottom. Yeah. So my friend Greg Washington has a podcast called Guards Down, and it's about raising awareness about complex grief and PTSD. Mm. And he talks about depression and all of the things around it and the collateral damage, because when you're going through that, like you're hurting and you end up hurting other people, whether it's intentional or not. It's just a byproduct of being in that state and not knowing something's wrong is the part that gets really dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. To isolate that hopelessness feels like a pit that you can't climb out of. And if there aren't people who are paying attention and watching you pretty closely, you might do something that's permanent for a temporary situation. And it doesn't matter how good your life is going, like you can go to that place. 100%. You're right. The scary thing is not knowing because it took me months to identify it. I just thought, oh, like, you know, everything's bad and something's wrong with me. But then I finally realized actually, I think I'm, I'm really struggling here with a mental health problem. And I think I need some help. And so it, it took months for me to realize, okay, I need to go get a therapist and I need to go do all these other things so that I can feel better. And it's, it's also scary because other people around you don't necessarily have experience with depression and anxiety. So they don't know either. They just think you're in a crappy mood all the time. So I've really done a lot more trying to educate people around it just from my personal experience. But I think, you know, it, it's something any, anyone can be prone to. Yeah. Beautiful. I appreciate your courage and transparency on that for sure. Thank you. So you, you come back from rock bottom. What's kind of the reward for enduring this arduous journey? Definitely several rewards. And the most obvious one is the fact that I'm now retired. So it's a lot of fun. I don't have to go into work anymore. I don't really have to do a ton of ongoing work with passive income. You know, is, is anything 100% passive? 
maybe portfolio income, but for the rest, no, not really. I mean, you're still going to have to put in a couple hours a week or a few hours a month to maintain the passive income streams. So it's great though. That's all I'm doing now. And now my life is about working when, where, and if I want. And it's definitely a freedom that I'll never take for granted because now I can do the things that I love and that I'm passionate about, which continues to be helping people with financial literacy and writing and traveling and hiking. So it's a lot of fun. And I would say the other big reward, which is probably even bigger, is just knowing that I'm making an impact on people. You know, getting those messages and those emails from my readers saying, thank you for writing this book. Like this book has changed my life. I've paid off my student debt. I've paid off my credit card debt. I'm going to finally be able to retire. And I didn't think I was going to be able to. There is no feeling more rewarding than hearing somebody say that. Woo. Yes. Thank you notes. I love the thank you notes. Right. And I was talking to a guy, I work with a guy in coaching and like, he's been seeking like affection and appreciation and that type of stuff, but he fears rejection. So he doesn't want to call. And Mm. so look, I promise the more people you help, the sooner you'll get to that place where people are spraying that love on you that you desperately seek. But just having to go through the initial rejection is a thing that I think most people miss. And it's a part of just the entire sales cycle. So that was absolutely a gem. You said something. I want to come back to it because you said it twice. And I should have got it the first time. And then I definitely should have got it the second time. But I'm coming back now because I can't let it go. You said it took me six months to get over the imposter syndrome after launch. Yeah. How do you know it was six months? Well, I just think back and I I feel like I remember it was around that time that I started feeling confident because up until then I still felt like this fraud and I was heavily promoting this book that I I don't think I even believed in 100%. And so it wasn't until I got that outside validation from external readers, you know, strangers, people that didn't know me my confidence level started rising. And then I really got behind my book and realized, oh yeah, like I actually wrote a really great book and it's helping people. So I think that's kind of what changed in that period of time. Okay. I was wondering if there was like a message or an exchange or some form of encounter where it was like, oh yeah, this is the real deal. (laughs) So has it been anything that tried to like pull you back into the old way of life and the old thinkings? Oh yeah. So here's what's funny is when I launched my second book, Passive Income Aggressive Retirement, I was like, I'm an expert. I dealt with the imposter syndrome. Like that's not going to happen again. And this is going to go a lot more smoothly in terms of the emotions leading up to launch. And that was not the case at all. In fact, I think I had the imposter syndrome even worse the second time around. I was so anxious, so stressed out in the months leading up to launch. And what I realized maybe afterwards or during, I was already comparing my second book to my first book. And as an author, that's just not a good thing to do because everything's different. Everything's going to be launched differently into maybe a different audience. And I think I was putting a lot of pressure on myself because Money Honey had did so well, exceeded all expectations. It has over like 600 reviews on Amazon now. And so I was putting this pressure that my second book had to do as well as or better than my first book. And I think that's why I had this imposter syndrome again. I I went through the whole thing again, even worse. So I, I just had to be okay with the fact that I can't compare the books to one another. They are each their own thing. They're each successful in their own ways. So that definitely pulled, tried to pull me back. In terms of the real estate, 
I can't tell you how many mess ups we've made with, with the rental properties and the tenants and, and investing in the properties. But one big one was probably the only time that I second guessed myself in terms of what we were doing with the rental properties was when we went to hire our property manager. And basically, like long story short, we hired this couple that had been working with us that we trusted and worked really hard. They'd already been doing jobs for us. So we hired them and it started out fine. But of course, six months in, my husband went to collect rent one weekend from the lockbox on site and noticed there was a lot of rent missing. And it wasn't just the normal tenant paying late. It was a lot. So of course, we're calling them. They're MIA. It turns out they stole $6,000 in rent that weekend. And we found out that they'd been living in vacant rooms and units on our properties for almost a year. So it was a disaster. (laughs) It's so embarrassing to admit that because I feel like it was such a rookie mistake, like what we did. But I share it so that other people can learn from my mistakes. What ended up happening is they went on drugs and they were probably addicted to drugs at some point in their life before, saw that they had it really good and they just went back into addiction, unfortunately. So the moral of the story there is don't be cheap when it comes to your property manager. You know, hire a legitimate, qualified, insured property management company. Because if we had done that and their employees had stolen money from us, they would have been liable for the damages, not us. It was awful dealing with that for the span of a few months, dealing with all that. And it definitely was the one time where I was like, what are we doing? Is this the right thing? Is, is owning real estate really the way to go? And I was just in such a dark place mentally that time that those were the things I was saying. But once we were able to pull out of that, get everything back under control, I did get the feeling that we were on the right track. And I was like, yes, we're building wealth this way. We're making a lot of money this way. This is the right thing to do. We paid a lot of money to learn a very expensive lesson and we won't make the same mistake again. So it's just having the focus of continuing to get better going forward. I love it. You got to keep moving forward regardless of what happens. Yeah take the lessons with you. So what's the biggest difference in your approach to life now? I would say the biggest difference is, is an effort to slow down. For most of my life, I'm such a driver. I'm always, what's the next goal? What's the next thing to accomplish? Where do I go now? And it, it obviously served me well because I accomplished a lot at a young age, but it also formed some unhealthy habits where you know, becoming a little bit addicted to ambition and the next goal and the next thing. And I've realized that you're not going to feel happy or satisfied based on the goals you accomplish. You have to foster happiness and gratitude along the way. I know it's cliche, like enjoy the journey, right? I know it's cliche, but it's so true. So what I'm trying to do now that I'm retired is to really slow down, enjoy life, use this time to relax and reset and recharge And be okay with the fact that I don't always have to be trying to achieve something. I don't have to try to monetize everything I do, right? It's okay to have fun. It's okay to do things just for fun or just for pleasure. So that is my biggest focus now. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because, you know, there's such a focus on monetization and how can I get the next dollar? And I think some of it goes back to some of the fear that you had early on, right? Like, I don't want to be poor, right? Mm-hmm. I've made and I don't want to go back to this place where I don't have money because that's really uncomfortable. Money's like air. You know, when you have it, it's all good. It doesn't matter. But as soon as you don't have it and you need it, you start gasping. And some people do some desperate things in order to get access to it. And 
um, some of that turns into trying to sell and monetize everything they can. So thank you for sharing mm. that. Yeah. Rachel, what are you most grateful for? My husband and I talk about our life values, probably not often enough, but our three most important values and the three things I'm the most grateful for is my health, my family, and my freedom. And they're not all perfect all the time. I've had a lot of health issues. I just had my first surgery on my ankle. I've been dealing with migraines since I moved to Colorado. But even so, I have to be so grateful for my health because it's truly to me the most important thing in life. I have to be grateful. I can still walk. I can still hike. I still have days where I don't have migraines all the time. And I think it's just, it's important to be grateful even if not everything is going your way. Gratitude is where all good things start. Yeah. Thank you. What dream are you most focused on catching next? So in an effort to not have a ton of goals and dreams and be super ambitious, I don't have as many outlined as I, as I used to have. But one thing that's been fun and that's always been a dream of mine since I was a little kid is to write a fiction novel. When I was little, I would write short stories and then I eventually, that kind of faded away. But it's something I used to love. So I'm taking this free course. I'm starting to write on the side. I'm awful. It's so bad. But it's just for me. It's just for fun. So it doesn't matter. So that's something that I'm focusing on. And then something my husband and I are thinking about doing next year is taking a year of travel and going all around the Western U.S., doing all the national parks. So we're starting to get serious and plot it out to start next year. And I'm super excited for that. Oh, my gosh. The gap year. You got it. Yes. <laughs> It'll be like the honeymoon we never had. <laughs> well, you're frugal, right? So, of course, yeah. you spend money on that. Yeah. The next question, and these are the final two, is what gift were you given the world? So David Osborne told me once that everyone's dreams have a financial component, right? Everyone has dreams. Everyone has bucket list items. And I truly feel that by helping people with their finances and spreading education on financial literacy, I'm helping them achieve their dreams. So I would say that is my gift. Everybody's got a money problem they got to solve, right? That's right. <laughs> mean that you have to have a job. It just means you need a stream of income. And mm-hmm. now there's at least 28 different ways. To- <laughs> <laughs> That's love- right. <laughs> so, Rachel, I, I, I just want to affirm you and throw some love on you for being the money, honey, right? And overcoming your imposter syndrome, being transparent about some of the struggles and challenges, one that a lot of people aren't comfortable discussing, but is, you know, mental health and depression because I mean, mm. that in and of itself shows your vulnerability and your true intent to raise awareness about things that can impact us and will lead to us not having a great life. So thank you so much for living a full life and being willing to share some of those uncomfortable truths with the listeners today. Yes. And thank you, Jerome. And thank you for sharing your unique gifts with the world too, and for having me on. Sure. So the final question is, what's one thing you want the people to take away for our conversation today? I want people to understand and believe that anyone at any age on any income can achieve financial independence. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like put a period at the end of that. Maybe some exclamation points. I love that. I remember a guy telling me, hey, Jerome, it's not your age that allows you to retire. It's the number, right? It's dollars. And 
back then I was trying to put money in a 401k and didn't realize that like income today is more valuable than a big old nest egg that mm-hmm. or you draw against in the future. But yeah, I mean, that's it, right? You, you grow your income from sources other than your work so that you don't have to go to work. I love it. Thank you okay. for that. Yeah. Oh man. So we wrap it up with that. Any other thoughts before we jump off? I'll share my passive income starter kit for free for your listeners. If anyone wants to download it, they can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Awesome. Guys, jump in and get the bonus. It's good stuff. All right, Rachel. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Jerome. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.